Hey friends, and welcome back to another episode. I'm truly grateful you're here joining me. I just was reminded as I was editing this podcast why I started this this podcast, this whole passive income examiner thing, was to talk to super smart people about investing or passive income strategies, which could be investing or building passive income businesses. I wanted to talk to these people. I wanted to hear their story. I wanted to share their story with the world. And after listening again to this episode, when I was editing it, I was thinking, wow, this story is one of the coolest that I've gotten to share. Mike Moralski is a 30 plus year real estate investment veteran. He has controlled over $285 million, yes, million, in real estate transactions. Mike is an entrepreneur, author, real estate trainer, public speaker, and a personal coach with a strong personal resilience and a deep desire to help others live an extraordinary life. He has coached hundreds of real estate investors to fulfill their dreams. But listen, here's the thing. When you listen to Mike's story, you will be blown away at what he has gone through in his life and where he is today. The wisdom and the experience speak for themselves. I hope you listen to this till the end. He has a book for you, an offer for you. It's totally worth investing. But really what's cool about this, and this is what I wanted to say too, is this episode is for anybody who has thought about investing in rental, uh, real estate investing in apartments or residential, it doesn't matter. And you have reservations, especially right now with the market the way it is. What I see in Mike is this wisdom that speaks for itself and he has lived through so many tremendous experiences. It is totally worth listening to. All right, so let's get to it. Welcome to the Passive Income Examiner Show, helping you navigate the muddy waters of building successful revenue streams beyond the nine to five. I'm your host, Lindsay Sutherland, mama of four who has a passion for living my best life and helping you do the same. I'm honored you're here and excited to offer you valuable and inspiring content. I believe we can have the freedom we desire and the happiness we deserve. Thanks for joining me. Well, good morning, Mike. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Passive Income Examiner. I appreciate you and uh, want to start out by asking you just to share your story and tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me on, Lindsay. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, you know, I've been in the real estate space for about 30 years. I uh, didn't really come from a family that had an entrepreneurial background or knew anything about real estate and kind of uh, fell into it. And when I did, I fell in love with the industry. I had a general contracting business I was, you know, uh, pretty successful with. And one morning I just woke up and I was just burnt out, didn't want to do it anymore and decided to go into the real estate business. And I always felt, I always felt that success left leaves clues. So I went to a really successful real estate agent in my marketplace and asked him if I could shadow him. And he said, no, I'm not going to have you hang around and shadow me. But what I will do is make you a cassette tape. So now I'm kind of dating myself because I don't think you could find anything to make a cassette tape on today, but much less listen to one. But I, um, 
I took that cassette tape that he made and I listened to it over and over and over again. And when I went into the real estate business, I sold 78 houses my first nine months in the business. And I did that all through for sale by owners. I just followed some simple fundamentals and some simple principles and really mastered the um, repetitious boredom every day and just sold a heck of a lot of houses. I went on to build a team that we were selling 125 homes a year. And in 2005, I saw the market starting to shift. And I knew that I would have to do something else in order to keep the production up and continue to um, do what I was trying to accomplish. And I, so I decided to go in the apartment business. And, and Lindsay, what's funny is I didn't just wake up and decide to go in the apartment business. It had really been something that I thought about for years you know, and I had watched a couple of other large syndicators in my market who had grown their businesses. One, of course, uh, who I watched who were four high school teachers who started a, a company. They bought their first four unit apartment building, raised some private equity for passive investing. And today they're the largest REIT in the world. They're in 80 countries around the world in every asset class. And, you know, a REIT is a real estate investment trust, right? It's uh, like a mutual fund. So people invest money into it and, and that's what they did. So I understood the model of passive income where you could raise private equity from individuals, marry it with a great real estate deal. And as long as everything went well, everybody made money and was happy. Well, 2005, I went into the apartment business. I raised $18 million in 30 months and bought $60 million worth of real estate, which was about 4,000 apartments in five different states went on to build a property management company managing 7,500 units. And today, as a result of a few stumbles along the way, I'm in the coaching and training space. Okay. So um, I think before we started recording, you had said something about your focus is on, I guess, let me backtrack even farther than that, because um, in real estate, you know, that's, that's a massive amount of um, dollars and, and buildings, units that you, you did, what was your, what was going on in your mindset? Like you went from being, uh, you know, in the co a contractor to doing this massive amount of real estate, kind of what was your mindset during that time? Did you have any concerns or fears? And if you did, what were they and how did you work through them? Yeah, great question. You know, selling real estate was one thing and selling a lot of houses was, uh, you know, it, it became a, uh, an exciting challenge to me year after year to live last year to, because I was a big prospector. I would get on the phone. I called people. I talked to people. And as a result of that, that's, that was exciting to me. The more people I could talk to, I knew that every time I picked the phone up and dialed the phone, I made $8. So if I would pick the phone up 20,000 times in one year, you can do the math from there. Right. So, so that's what was exciting to me. When I went into the apartment business, I had a goal in mind. You know, in 2005, my wife said, hey, let's sell everything, move to California. I said, you know what? Let me take one more swing at this. I think that in, in eight or 10 years, we can uh, retire and we can go play golf, travel, and have some fun. And so my goal was that I could take, I could buy 10,000 apartments, create a million dollars a year in cash, passive cash flow, 
and sell that portfolio off and walk away with somewhere upwards of $10 million. The market was, was accelerated, was growing very rapidly, similar to what it's doing today. I have a bit of hesitation and a bit of pause right now when I look at the market based on being shell-shocked and what happened to me. But I bought all that real estate, Lindsay, but it was very unstable. I was over leveraged. I paid too much for property. You know, banks were throwing money at us back then and we could buy property at 10% down, 15% down. I owned $60 million worth of real estate. I was leveraged at 85% loan to value. That's crazy. So today I would never look at doing a piece of real estate unless I was 65 to 75% LTV into the deal. And I didn't raise enough money either for in case there was an issue or because of repairs and upkeep, things like that. So 2010 rolled around. And as a result of those, those business challenges that I had made, uh, and actually, let me back up, 2008 rolled around. And we all know what happened in 2008. The world hit the worst economic crisis it had ever seen. I remember sitting at lunch with my uh, CFO and we were watching the news and people were carrying boxes out of Lehman Brothers by the dozens. And I said, man, we're in big trouble, aren't we? He said, yeah, we're, we're screwed. And, you know, it was interesting because things just kind of spiraled, you know, for the next several months, the, the commercial market continued to increase. And we didn't think multifamily would get hit because people need a place to live, right? So if people lost their houses, they were still going to need a place to, to rent and live in. Uh, well, that wasn't the case. You know, we got to a certain point and all of a sudden people started moving out of apartments, doubling up, moving home. And we lost all that occupancy. As a result of the occupancy dropping, couldn't pay my bills. I couldn't pay my bills. I couldn't pay my investors. Um, I, I started having, uh, I owned 38 different companies. And those companies, some were operating really well and some weren't operating well. So what I started to do, Lindsay, was I started to move money from the well operating companies to the bad operating companies, trying to keep the ship afloat. You know, I never wanted anybody to get hurt. So I, instead of letting a few deals go to foreclosure and having to have to tell a couple of investors that they lost all their money, I thought, you know, I've been involved in recessions in the past. Corrections are generally only about 10% and last 17 or 18 months. Well, this thing lasted seven or eight years and people are still affected by it today. And the correction was 40%. I don't know how a lot of people weathered the storm in that. And I know a lot of people didn't, but I wound up moving money back and forth, trying to save my investors. Ultimately, I was charged with wire fraud and mail fraud charges uh, for not disclosing to my investors what I was doing and got sentenced to 10 years in federal prison as a result of that. I have my mic muted because I have chickens outside and they like to crow this hour. Really? <laughs> and it sounds, sometimes if you hear it on the audio, it sounds like a child screaming in the background. <laughs> I promise, <laughs> it's not, it's not my children. <laughs> um, yeah, they like to sit right outside my window. Uh, anyway, you know, that's an incredible story and you're not alone. You're absolutely right. I know personally multiple investors who went through that time frame 
that's when I got my start in real estate. I, I quit my job right before the crash. I thought to myself, what a, what a horrible time. I mean, the blessing was I hadn't been into it long enough to really get hurt, but I had quit my job and given it up to chase that dream right at the wrong time. Um, but I learned a lot through that. And it sounds like uh, maybe, you know, a lot of people did. And I was curious, you know, if you could kind of compare what you see the economy coming into now. And obviously I realize it's just your opinion. You're not an economist, but um, with your experience and just kind of, you know, through the filter, through the lens of your life, tell us what do you see is something, some similarities and maybe some differences about where we are versus what was going on back then. Yeah. You know, there's no way to avoid paying too much for a property today. Because uh, everything is accelerated, whether you're buying a residential house or whether you're buying an apartment community, um, other asset classes might not be as accelerated, but but these are. And right now, you know, multifamily is the sexy uh, uh, place to be. It's the darling of the industry, right? So, I'm not an economist and I'm not an attorney. All I can tell you is what I've experienced and what I see happening right now. And, and what I do see happening is that the market's accelerated. I see people paying, overpaying for property. They're, they're valuing, they're, they're underwriting deals razor thin, and they're not taking into consideration what tomorrow might bring. And if, if you're not being conservative in your underwriting today, and not just today, but anytime, that's an issue. And, and I think that, um, one of the issues that I had back when I was syndicating deals was that I wasn't underwriting conservatively enough. I was overestimating. I was thinking that that the market was going to continue to grow and and it didn't. It it fell out. So as a result, you know, if I had to list everything, and I did, I, I listed every business mistake that I made, and it was about a list of 30. But but the top ones that stand out, Lindsay, are overpaying for property, being over leveraged. So, you know, 15% down on $60 million worth of real estate is a bad place to be. Uh, you know, you should be 25, 30% in your deals. You um, uh, should pay attention to the red flags. So if there's something that you see when you're walking into a deal, whether it be on your early evaluations or whether it be during your due diligence, make sure you dig in, you know, and find out what that is. Uh, don't just have it to, uh, we'll figure it out later, right? Um, the other thing I did was I didn't raise enough money. You know, I think that there's a sweet spot in the market where we all raise enough money thinking that, hey, you know, if the occupancy drops 20%, I can cover that, we'll be okay. But what happens if the occupancy drops 30%, which it did? Don't say it never will. You know, I remember investors asking me, hey, what's the worst thing that could happen? And I would tongue in cheek say, everybody could move out. And you know what? I never thought it would happen, Lindsay, but it happened. You know, when your occupancy drops because businesses go out of business in town and there's no way to mitigate that, you, you, you know, you're in trouble. So, um, what I tell people is just be cautious, walk cautiously, make sure underwriting today is, is um, uh, conservative, you know, be conservative in your rent growth, be conservative in your exit caps, be conservative in your purchase price, right? And, and um, 
just watch what you're doing. One of the big mistakes I made was in my offering documents. I put that I would never go to my cap to my investors for a capital call. And if I would have done that, that would have forced me to be able to go to them first before I moved any money and said, Hey, we need capital. Um, if I would have disclosed to them because, and, and if they would have said, no, I don't have capital to put in, or I don't want to put capital in, well, here's what I'm going to do. And if they would have signed off, I would have never gotten in trouble, but I didn't disclose it. So I want to be, you know, I am more transparent today. That's why I tell this story. You know, I hope to bring hope and inspiration because it, it, you know, it can get bad. And there's a lot of things that happened after I went to prison that, you know, I'd like to chat about too, but um, you know, so I hope I answered your question and that yeah. was kind of a long way around, but no, and it makes sense. I mean, you basically summarized what you learned from the downturn before, and you're just saying, Hey, just walk, walk on eggshells right now. Yeah. And, and mainly because like you said, we don't know what's going to happen. It may turn out just fine. And it may just be another major crash. One thing I know that is different is the way the lending is that, you know, they're not, they're not as forgiving. They're, they're definitely looser than they were originally. Cause uh, at the time, shortly after the last crash, I was in the car business and I was pretty familiar with, you know, how um, the banks were being changed, right. The, the mm -hmm. lending laws and a lot of the restrictions that got put in place. Um, and I know that affected real estate more heavily than the automotive industry, but, uh, you know, there was definitely reform all over the place. And so, you know, I think that could be a blessing, but I think also it can be a false hope because I think people will think, oh, it can't happen again. And yeah, maybe it won't happen exactly that way, but that doesn't mean that things can't happen. You know, like what I find interesting about your story, Mike, is that it was a simple, innocent mistake. It wasn't like it was intentional. There was no malice. You just simply didn't know what you didn't know. And I think for beginner investors, that's why learning from somebody and getting in with a coach or getting in with somebody who's been down that road is just invaluable. I mean, you can't even express really in words the impact and power that it has because until you've walked through and made mistakes, there really isn't, um, nobody can really know everything. There's no book that writes every rule, you know, yeah, right. and you're not, and we're not, you know, as investors, especially, we don't go to real realtor school often, you know, some do, we're not mortgage lenders, we're not entitled, we, but yet we have to kind of have an understanding of all of it in order to, to make a deal happen. And with syndication, it's even a higher level of, of, um, I don't know, rules, I suppose, <laughs> is the word I could think of. So yeah, and there's a there's um a message in my mess, right? And I think that that's what you're saying is that, you know, because of the mistakes, there's there's good education for people to take a look at and take heed to. So uh, people need to do that. But hey, don't get me wrong, Lindsay, I broke the law. But um, I didn't change my lifestyle, right? I didn't fly private. I didn't buy big boats. I didn't have big houses or big fancy cars. I didn't have any of that. We poured all our money back into the business. Um, I actually made a bunch of money in that 30 months and I had a bunch of cash in the bank and wound up putting it all back in the business. Uh, it was just a perfect storm. 
is what happened. Yeah, no, I've heard of other investors who were on a smaller scale with their own private rentals who did a very similar thing. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Robert Kiyosaki came out publicly just as that was happening and made a statement that said something like, look, cut your losses. If you're losing, cut them. And a lot of people had that that's going to be okay. You know, we'll get through it. It's not going to be so bad. I'll, I'll just rob Peter to pay Paul and, and use my good investments to pay my bad and then ended up losing a lot. And that's something that, you know, I think a lot of people learned a lesson along those lines in that time. I don't think you're the only one who made that kind of mistake. It might've just been on a larger scale. That's all. <laughs> it was on a big scale. So can I, can I give some good news though? I mean, yes. um, so you know, I went to prison thinking my life was over, right? And you go from this uh, modest uh, middle-class lifestyle where that you were growing uh, upper middle-class lifestyle to all of a sudden uh, going to prison, being in a 12 by 12 room with four other men, living in a two by five locker with three green outfits and five pairs of underpants, wondering what the hell happened in my life? Um, how'd I get here? And, you know, what's next? So I thought my, I thought life was over. I really thought that um, this is it. This is the worst it can get. What's going to happen now? Well, I was in prison about 17 days. My wife decided she was going to leave me. And uh, that was when my life got the worst it could possibly ever get. And so as a result of that, I, um, uh, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. And there were some guys around me that, that kind of came to my aid, support, hey, uplifted me, um, kept me from, you know, really being in that bad, bad place. But one day I walk into the gym and this guy walks up to me and, and this is one of those moments in my life that I had the best conversation in my life with somebody. And, and he walks up to me and he says, um, hey, don't let these people beat you. All they want to do is take everything from you that you've ever known or had. They can take your apartments, they can take your real estate, they can take your money. Do you have podcasting questions? Are you looking for a community where you can learn and grow as a podcaster? Hi, I'm Greg, creator of Indie Drop-In Network. Join me and Jeff Townsend, aka the Indie Podcast Father, on Twitter Spaces every Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern for Podcasting Power Hour. Every week, we are joined by experts on different aspects of podcasting to help the community learn and grow as creators. We tackle questions from podcasters at every level. Just go to podcastingpowerhour.com for links to the space and to hear previous episodes. That's podcastingpowerhour.com. They can destroy your family. They can inside. They can't take your brains. They can't take what you're made of. They can't take your excitement and energy. He said, come to this gym every day, take my class, start working out, start feeling better physically and emotions and mental stuff will start to come back. Best advice I ever got. I was 35 pounds overweight, started going to the gym, started working out, started feeling better. I wound up going to college. I got a four-year bachelor's degree in theology. I wrote two books while I was gone. Uh, one on multifamily investing, one on property management. I taught real estate investing and property management in prison for five years. I wrote an ethics course. I taught ethics, how ironic, right? In prison for five years. 
I was on an outreach program, went into the community, told my story about 40 times to small business owners and local area college students. And then I befriended a professor from the University of Minnesota. And we co-authored a paper that uh, this past January we had published in the Business Journal of Ethics that gets taught at the college level for forensic accounting classes and uh, sales and marketing classes. And then there were a whole bunch of other little things that I did along the way as well. But what I, there's a saying in prison that says you can either do the time or let the time do you. And I chose to do the time. I was stayed busy. I stayed motivated. I, I lost weight. I came home in better shape physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually than I had ever been. So uh, I came home with the desire to build this coaching and training business to give back, to help others learn from my mistakes, not make the same mistakes, scale their business, but live a better balanced quality lifestyle along the way. That's an incredible story. It reminds me also of like the Viktor Frankl, you know, the mindset. Now that was actually a question I wanted to ask you. So I'm glad you brought that up was just how did you, you know, keep it together between the ears <laughs> throughout that experience? Because that's a pretty intense thing to go through. So that's a, that. Thanks for sharing. Um, so now here you are, you're, you're teaching others. What do you think is, uh, how do you kind of walk your students through the path? And, and what are your, what are your maybe top three investing strategy tips or, or advice that you could give people who are just getting started? Yeah. So a couple things, uh, you know, I work in this box, right? I think all trainers and coaches work in this box. You know, I, I teach, you know, networking and team building and how to source and uh, locate off-market deals, how to look at the early evaluations on a property. I call them the traps and how to uh, underwrite and do due diligence, all those things that, that go into, you know, owning, operating, running multifamily management, operations, all that. But I think what's really more important is outside that box, who we become as an individual, how we grow personally, because we don't grow professionally unless we grow personally. And what are you doing in your life to grow, to give back, to grow and to become somebody who makes a difference, right? Um, hey, listen, we can go out and make a million bucks or have a goal to make a million bucks. But who do you become along the way and what do you do with it when you get it? So I think two big questions that need to be answered. But here, here's something that's interesting. Along the way and over the years, you know, I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on coaching and training and books and tapes. And I always walked away kind of feeling empty, like why I was missing something. And what I discovered was that uh, what I was missing was people taught me how to get in deals, how to find deals, how to run deals, but nobody taught me how to get out. Nobody taught me the importance of capitalizing on my profitability and how to get out of a deal. So I wrote a book called Exit Plan, Your Complete Guide to Multifamily Investing and Why You Need an Exit Plan. And I really think people need to, to learn that lesson because it's not just selling a property and getting out, but there's different exits along the way. And there's different ways to run and manage your, your real estate that will benefit you and your investors if you're syndicating a deal. So, you know, I talk about that because I think it's really important. And, and that's one of the big things that I teach my investors is how to plan for that before you ever even get to the closing table. Uh, you need to know what that exit's going to be. 
I realized that that's a good and in, in an interesting perspective that most investors are not having. I think one of the, I'm probably more guilty of this than, and then many is having kind of rose colored glasses, like, oh, everything's going to work out. You know, this just assumption that it can't go wrong. And I remember that mindset too, back in 08, it, real estate was so good. I heard this all the time. Oh, real estate is the best. It's You can't fail in real estate. You just sell the property and you, you just can't lose. I mean, I was going to real estate investor seminar trainings back then as well. And so I can remember that. And I think that's a super valuable lesson that more people definitely need to, to understand. But then how does that carry over to, um, let's say people who want to be the investor, not necessarily, like they want to put their money in and they don't necessarily want to syndicate the deal, right? Do, should they also have an exit strategy or should they ask about that? Is that, does that, does that pertain to the person just wanting the passive income right in return? Yeah, I think they need to know what the sponsor's uh, intentions are what the sponsor's plan is. You know, if I'm a passive investor and I'm putting my money in a deal with a sponsor who's going to run, operate uh, that deal, I want to know what the plan is. So what is the exit? How do we and when will it be? You know, I remember when I first went into the syndication business, I had a very good friend who said, oh God, I love real estate. I said, you do? I never knew that. He goes, oh yeah. He goes, I'm invested in a number of passive deals. He goes, matter of fact, they're just unwinding a deal right now that I've been in for 27 years. I said, 27 years. I said, that's a little long, isn't it? He goes, he goes, yeah, it is. But um, there was cash flow that came from it. Uh, every quarter I got a check for, I don't remember, you know, between five and $700 a quarter. And, and I thought, wow, that's interesting. 27 years at that, right? So I would rather know what the exit is because if you're taking a lot of depreciation during that time and, and how does that all play in, you want to know those things. So from a passive investor standpoint, know who your sponsor is, know what mistakes they've recovered from. If you have a sponsor that hasn't made any mistakes, I don't know that's the right place to be. Um, and, and not from, a, you know, not from a standpoint, you know, just it's inexperience, right? And um, even if they're just stumbles along, little stub my toe kind of things, right? Um, and and know what the exit is, because I, I do believe that it's important. And how am I going to get my capital back? I forgot I was muted there for a second. <laughs> I said, good questions to ask. I love that. I, I think having an, a real and honest conversation is just so important in, in every business move. Um, you know, this is actually reminding me of something I used to say a lot after working in the automotive industry for 20 years. I worked in sales and I worked in service. I worked in a lot of service departments and people used to ask me, well, what do you think is the best car? And I would say, well, after working in service departments and when you see cars come in with 100,000 miles or more then you can really tell which cars are the better cars. You know, compare, compare the cars after they've been tried out <laughs> for a while and, and you can see the quality. Um, and that's exactly what you're saying. You know, use, use a, have somebody who's guiding you who's been down the road. And so with that being said, tell, tell our listeners how they can find you and how they can work with you. Sure. 
Uh, first of all, I'd love to offer my book to all your listeners. If they'd like a copy of that, they could go download it from my website at mycoreintentions.com forward slash exit plan. Um, you can find me on social media everywhere, Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. Please connect with me and follow me. Uh, and you want to have a one-on-one conversation, if I can answer any questions or be helpful, you know, just reach out. I'm very accessible, uh, either on Instagram, reach out to me, or uh, I might, uh, send me an email at mike at mycorintentions.com. Excellent. Do you have any last uh, words of wisdom you want to offer anybody? Yeah, you know, just uh, be cautious in your underwriting today. Whether And even if you're a passive investor, check and double check when you're vetting your sponsors that they have uh, really been conservative in their underwriting. And, and when I talk about conservative, you know, just because rent growth is 4%, doesn't mean that the sponsor needs to show rent growth at 4%, that three, three and a half percent is okay. And, you know, when you look at things like that uh, and and you see the conservativeness and you still have a decent return, then maybe it's a good place to be. Okay. Excellent. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate being here. Hey, Pie Tribe, thanks for tuning in. I wanted to give you a chance to join me on Facebook in my private group. It's an opportunity for you to participate in passive income system and strategy conversation. Either share what you know, or if you're not ready, just hang back and see what comes your way. But it's a great way to see what's out there, see what opportunities are available if you're still on the fence about what strategies or systems are best for you. You can find it on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash escape your 925 and the number 92 and 5 is how that's written out. All right. I look forward to seeing you there. 